Hello again, space fans. Matt Kaplan here with a very quick message this time. Just uh, wanted once again to thank those of you who have responded to our plea for support. Uh, those of you who are uh, helping to save planetary radio, it really does come down to that. Thank you so much for those of you who've uh, responded by going to planetary.org slash radio and uh, clicking on that link that allows you to uh, support the show without having to become a Planetary Society member. It really does mean a lot to us. Those of you who have not yet responded, well, we know some of you simply can't, and uh, some of you simply won't. Okay, not a problem. We still uh, hope you enjoy listening to the podcast. But if you do have it within you and uh, also within your wallet or purse to help us out, we sure could use it. It really uh, may help us. It really may uh, prevent this radio show from... Uh, going the way of, uh, of uh, oh, I don't know, Betelgeuse, the supernova, uh, if it is a supernova, which we'll be talking about briefly during today's show, during the What's Up segment. That's it. We'll leave it at that. Thank you so much once again for listening, and uh, especially to those of you who've been able to help us out. Take your best shot of Mars, this week on Planetary Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Public Radio's travel show that takes you to the final frontier. I'm Matt Kaplan of the Planetary Society. You may have seen Mars through a telescope. You may even have photographed it. But how would you like to help pick a spot on the red planet for imaging by an orbiting spacecraft? We'll talk about this brand new program with Phil Christensen, principal investigator for the Themis camera on the Odyssey orbiter. And speaking of power to the people, Bill Nye has birthday wishes for the SETI at Home project, celebrating 10 years of letting you join the search for extraterrestrial intelligence that was initially funded by the Planetary Society. And then there's our weekly What's Up jaunt around the night sky with astronomer and planetary scientist Bruce Betts, including the Space Trivia Contest. T-minus 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5. Four, three, two, one. Main engine ignition and liftoff of the Atlas V rocket with LRO Elcross, America's first step of a lasting return to the moon. I never get tired of countdowns. That one sent the Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter and the Lunar Crater Observation and Sensing Satellite on their way to the moon. But you probably knew that. The June 19 liftoff received a good deal of media attention. I think I know why. Call it the deep impact effect. The only thing better than a rollicking, cataclysmic collision in space is two collisions. And that's what Elcross and the Centaur upper stage of its booster will provide in October of this year. Scientists hope the Big Bang at the moon's pole generated by the Centaur will vaporize the water ice many suspect is hiding there. It's that wet stuff Elcross may detect before it meets its own doom a few minutes later. Meanwhile, LRO will be skimming just a few miles above the lunar surface, revealing unprecedented detail about that cratered wonderland. We'll have more on these missions soon, but you can read about them in the Planetary Society blog right now. It's at planetary.org. You've probably also heard that Space Shuttle Endeavour didn't make it off the ground last week. The mission to the International Space Station has been delayed till July because of a recurring hydrogen leak. 
exoplanets. The galaxy is lousy with them. One team of astronomers now claims to have found one outside our galaxy. It's next door, in Andromeda. Meanwhile, yet another technique for finding these distant worlds has had its first success. That story is also at planetary.org. Here's Bill. Hey, hey, Bill Nye the Planetary Guy here, Vice President of the Planetary Society. And this week is the 10th anniversary of the search for extraterrestrial intelligence at home, SETI at home. Now, what's everybody talking about these days? What are the kids talking about? They're talking about their cloud computing, their distributed computing. Well, SETI at home was the first global-scale distributed computing thing anybody ever did. We had billions and billions of bits of data from the Arecibo Radio Observatory that may contain a signal from another civilization in some distant part of the universe. But there were so many data, you couldn't figure it out. So what people did, they wrote software to send a chunk of data to your computer, and your computer would cha-chunk on that chunk and look for a signal. It's still going on. There's still over 200,000 computers searching the skies looking for a signal from some civilization we can only imagine. I mean, your computer might be the one that solves this problem, that finds the signal. And you would do it in a way for free. It's the cosmic lottery. And the winner will benefit all of humankind. It's an astonishing idea, and it's 10 years old. Who knows what the future holds as our computing ability gets better? And you can say, well, 10 years is a long time to be looking without finding anything. Well, that's true to a point, but how long have people been on the Earth? It depends how you count, but maybe a million years? So this is a hundred thousandth of human existence, which may be radically changed in a heartbeat with somebody's personal computer. Oh, it's exciting. Happy anniversary, SETI at home. This is Bill Nye, the Planetary Guy. Here's hoping you change the world. Phil Christensen has been exploring Mars for years. Now he wants to let you in on the action. Phil is a Regents Professor of Geological Sciences at Arizona State University's Tempe campus. That's where he also directs the Mars Spaceflight Facility. We've talked to him before about his Themis instrument on the Mars Odyssey orbiter, part of the fleet of spacecraft circling Mars. Themis is the Thermal Emission Imaging System. You might guess, quite correctly too, that it's an infrared camera, but it's more than that. And while it may not have just become your personal point-and-shoot above the red planet, a new program pioneered by Phil comes pretty close. I talked to Dr. Christensen a few days ago via Skype. Phil, welcome back to the program. Uh, how is uh, Themis doing, and uh, how's the spacecraft? How's uh, Mars Odyssey? Everything's going great, knock on wood. The spacecraft is doing extremely well. It's uh, behaving well. All systems are go. And the Themis, the camera, even though it's been there for seven years, it's still performing extremely well. And just recently, we changed the orbit. We had been in an orbit that uh, was right at about 6 p.m. Uh, so we're an infrared instrument. We're looking at the ground. And it's really cold on Mars at, <laughs> 6, at 6 p.m. So for the last four or five years, our data have been good, but they haven't been nearly as good as they could. 
About a month ago, we changed the orbit. We're now at about 3.30 p.m., and the data are looking much, much better. Now, explain why that, that time is significant, and I, I think it has to do with, with the nature of Odyssey's orbit. That's right. Way back when Odyssey was, was dreamed up, uh, the gamma-ray spectrometer was the primary instrument that was slated to go on this orbiter. That instrument works best at a orbit that's right on the terminator. It has a radiative cooler that wants to see cold space, not see the sun. And so the mission was designed to really be optimized for the gamma-ray spectrometer. Themis was actually an add-on to that mission, and so we've been doing the best we can, but we couldn't really drive the orbit, drive the mission, because it was uh, gamma-ray focused. We're an infrared camera, and the warmer the surface, the better the data look. And so we've been at this, at this late local time with a very cold surface, collecting good data, useful data. We've been you know, chugging along, doing our thing. But now, after seven years, we convinced NASA and the project to move the orbit. And in my mind, we've sort of now entered the Themis phase of the Odyssey mission. And I'm hoping we'll have another seven years here collecting really spectacular new uh, Themis infrared data. So your time has come. It has. It's been a long time. It's been a, we've been waiting patiently. But uh, we're, ready to, we're ready to rock and roll. I, th- I think we're going to get some really exciting new data out of this thing. And by way of segue, maybe uh, the time for uh, members of the public, your fans out there, has also come. Of course, Themis has been returning all kinds of terrific data, as has uh, Odyssey, along with its uh, sister spacecraft circling the planet there. But uh, I read recently about these two new programs, which are very much uh, outward-looking programs. I wonder if you could start by telling us a little bit about this one, that it looks like it's going to give uh, regular folks like me a chance to help decide exactly where on Mars Odyssey should be examining. That's right. That's exactly what we want to do. You know, we come to work every day, and we get to explore Mars. We get to take pictures of places no humans have seen before. Even from the beginning, we've we've tried to share that sense of adventure, uh, that sense of exploration with the public. But up until now, it's been, we take the images, we'll put them on a website, you get to look at them, but it was still you know, the science team making the decisions. We're deep enough into the mission, we've been doing this long enough, that I was able to convince NASA to actually open this up a little bit and let the public make suggestions or at least uh, give us ideas on where we might be imaging. You know, I think that's important. There are a lot of people out there who have looked at a lot of Mars data, you know, amateur astronomers, if you will, and amateur planetary scientists who have some good ideas. And so we really wanted to create a program that shared this sense of excitement and adventure with people so that, uh, you know, we weren't the only ones having all the fun. You know, this comment you've made about uh, what uh, so-called amateurs have been able to uh, contribute, um, this is something that was made so clear by uh, my colleague, Emily Lakdawalla, who is one of those, and uh, so many of them also look at her blog, and uh, they they've really have been able to do some tremendous science. But it's not that you're going to require anybody to have a particular expertise on the Red Planet, I guess. No, that's not. It's not it at all. And And... When I was in high school, I was interested in space and thought, wow, wouldn't it be cool to be able to take a picture of Mars? There's a lot of people who, you know, you don't need a 
PhD in Mars science to be interested, to have ideas, to look at images, to you know say, hey, that's cool. I wonder what that is. So it it really is trying to give people who are interested the opportunity. You don't have to be an expert. We did have a little negotiating to do with with NASA. Um, so <laughs> the way it works now is we're still taking the images. We look at the suggestions that come in. And then we'll take some of those ideas and, and, and factor them in. One of the things that we'd, we'd like to take this the next step in the future is literally dedicate some small number of images to truly a voting process by the public. That if enough people pick this spot in any given week, we'll take that picture regardless of what the science team thinks or, you know, so it, it truly is a the public took that picture as opposed to giving scientists some suggestions. So we'd like to take it even that one step further. This is the would be the planetary science version of American Idol. Exactly. You know, you get a vote for your favorite favorite place. <laughs> and we, we've tried to make it pretty easy. We, we show a week's worth of orbits. This is where the spacecraft is going to be. Let people know on our website, hey, don't bother to take a picture here. The sun's not up. Um, but other than that, you know, you kind of go in, pick a spot, click on it, send us a message and say, hey, guys, take a picture of this. And, yeah, we do hope that enough people get interested that it becomes a bit of a competition where people, you know, are voting with their with their fingers on their clicker saying, hey, no, this is the this is the most interesting place for this week's picture. That's Phil Christensen, principal investigator for the Themis camera on the Mars Odyssey orbiter. He'll share more opportunities with you after a quick break. This is Planetary Radio. Hi, I'm Lou Friedman, Executive Director of the Planetary Society. You've made Planetary Radio one of our most successful programs. Our valued listeners depend on it for weekly space-related news, entertainment, and inspiration. However, today's economy is forcing the society to make tough choices. As a result, the future of Planetary Radio is now on the line. Planetary Radio urgently needs your financial support to continue. We know this program is important to you, so we're asking you to make a donation dedicated to keeping Planetary Radio alive. Please visit our webpage at planetary.org radio. Tax-deductible donations of $50 or more will be rewarded with a Planetary Radio t-shirt. Our listeners are a thoughtful and committed team. I trust you will help sustain Planetary Radio so we can continue to explore new worlds. Please extend your lifeline of support at planetary.org radio. And thank you. Welcome back to Planetary Radio. I'm Matt Kaplan. Phil Christensen wants to loan you his camera. It just happens to be circling Mars. Phil heads Arizona State University's Mars Spaceflight Facility and is the principal investigator for the Themis instrument on the Mars Odyssey orbiter. And Themis is, uh, though you've described it as an infrared instrument, and it certainly does that very well, it also works in uh, at visual wavelengths. That's correct, and that's what we're doing with this program. We're using the visible camera. Uh, it has about a factor of five better spatial resolution. The resolution's about 15 meters per pixel, Nothing like the spectacular high-rise images, but on the other hand, we get to take a lot more of them. Yeah, we're going to let people take the, the highest resolution visible images that we have, and those are stunning. I mean, uh, they're, they're really gorgeous pictures. The other thing that we've decided to do is if you do guess right and pick the place we're going to guess, or if you win the, win the vote and we take your spot, we're actually going to email 
uh, whoever suggested those places, we're going to email them the pictures as soon as we get it down on the ground, which is, you know, literally a few days after it's taken. So again, that's an incentive to be one of the first humans to ever, ever see this place on the surface of Mars. How do people get in on this? What should they do? Well, they should go to our website. I've got it right here, and we will also put it up at planetary.org slash radio. But here it is. It's simply suggest.mars.asu.edu. So uh, uh, suggest.mars.asu.edu, and, and the instructions are right there. Right. And we're, we're trying to carry this one step further. A, a couple of the fantastic programmers who used to work for me now work for Google, and they've been the guys who have been building Google Mars and helping with Google Earth and some of the other cool Google tools. They're in the process of actually adding a button right in Google Earth that lets you go straight to this to this website so that to make it even easier – for people to basically log in, sign up, send us an email, send us a suggestion. We do ask for people's emails, and that's simply so that we can email you back and say, hey, you won. So uh, that's about it. It's, it's pretty simple. And in fact, it's not just these two programmers. You've really done this very much in collaboration with Google. That's right. The bad news, I lost a couple of the brightest guys I've ever had here <laughs> working for me. The good news is they've... Uh, stayed in touch, and uh, so we've, we've really developed a, a good uh, working relationship with Google. I uh, tried not to hold any grudges here for losing these guys, but uh, also in all seriousness, we, we do have a really good relationship, and they've gone on to be doing some very exciting things. And, of course, anybody out there who has not played with Google Earth uh, up to version 5 now, uh, you're really missing out. It is an incredible tool. In fact, it was heavily used by the folks at the conference I attended last week, which we covered on on last week's show, as one of the most accessible, probably the most accessible and the most popular of the GIS, or Geographic Information System tools, that's available to anybody and for free, and there are hundreds and hundreds of applications available. Absolutely. And while we're on the topic, you have yet another one done as part of this collaboration called Live from Mars. Yes, exactly the same concept. Again, we're trying to let people experience what's going on. One of my frustrations all my life has been that planetary exploration tends to be a little distant. You know, you read about it in magazines, you see it on websites, it's in books, it's on documentaries. But I want to see what picture was taken yesterday. I want to see what Mars looks like right now. I don't want to have to wait a year until the book comes out. So that's what we've done. We've we've worked with uh, the Google guys and set it up so that literally every day our images live from that day go on to the Google Earth site. And uh, you can see them the same day, the same time we do. And uh, who knows? You know, I, I, I always joke with students that, hey, you know, if you, if you take a picture of a erupting volcano, I, I get all the credit. <laughs> but... Uh, you know, in all seriousness, hey, you know, look at it. Who knows? Maybe you'll see something that we've missed. Bringing planetary science uh, to the people, actually, is uh, is what this seems to be about. And there certainly is, looping back to where we started, lots of good science uh, still coming from this instrument and from Odyssey. Absolutely. And we've taken so many images, we haven't looked at them all. We really are looking to the non-specialists to look over these images and, and, and help us find stuff. There's Fantastic science and that's already on the shelf. There's fantastic images still to come. I hate to say it, but we're just beginning to scratch the surface in really understanding the data we've gotten from Odyssey. 
Surface of the red planet, I suppose. Uh, how? What's the outlook? Uh, are you guys uh, going for that uh, record set by the Mars Global Surveyor? We are. Um, I was involved with Global Surveyor. It, it has a wonderful, sweet spot in my heart. But it lasted a decade and did a fantastic job. I Again, indications are that from an engineering point of view, Odyssey is, is doing well, and it would be fun to, to, to set that record and uh, just you know have a spacecraft that just goes on and on and on. Phil, we hope that that's exactly what comes to pass and that uh, lots of folks out there uh, give a try uh, either helping you guys to uh, pick out uh, spots to take a look at on the surface of Mars or uh, simply being among the first to see those images as they come back from the uh, Themis instrument as it continues to uh, circle high above the red planet. Yep, we're, uh, we're hoping to hear from a lot of your listeners and other people. We really, truly want to make this a, a public activity. Phil, thanks very much. It's uh, great to have you back on the show. Real pleasure. Phil Christensen is a Regents Professor of Geological Sciences in the School of Earth and Space Exploration at Arizona State University. He is also, as you've probably figured out, sort of the father of uh, Themis. That's the Thermal Emission Imaging System. Uh, Themis on the uh, Mars Odyssey spacecraft, seven years circling the red planet. He's principal investigator for that. He also, at ASU, directs the Mars Spaceflight Facility at the uh, Tempe, Arizona campus. We're going to be right back with Bruce Betts for this week's edition of What's Up? It is time for What's Up? Planetary Radio, sitting with Bruce Betts across the uh, the dining room table here. We are ready to talk about the night sky. He's the director of projects for the Planetary Society. Behind him, playing quietly with their Nintendo DSs, are uh, his boys. Uh, happy Father's Day, first of all. Why, thank you very much. Good to be there. Yeah. Good to be fathering. It's a good place to be. I agree. Had a nice time with my happy, girls. Yesterday. Happy Father's Day to you as thank well. Thank you. I was Glad fishing. Yeah. Gosh, <laughs> sorry. I was... I'm still working on a joke that I missed from something you said earlier. Sorry about that. Well, if you think Ah, of it, laugh. Well, yeah, okay. Well, good. Hey, what's up in the night sky? Go ahead and tell us. Well, if you... No, no, wait. That's wrong. You tell us what's up in the night sky. My bad. Nice try. (laughs) We've got in the evening sky Saturn looking uh, lovely in its typical, I'm a bright star, but not a really bright star. But oh, by the way, I'm not really a star at all. I'm a planet. Uh, looking kind of yellowish in Leo in the early evening. You can check it out over in the west. Always great with a telescope because you can actually see those rings, even a small telescope. One of the most profound, observe, you know, first observing memories I have. Yeah, me too. Pre-dawn sky. We've got Jupiter outrageously bright in the south-southeast in the pre-dawn. And uh, even more outrageously bright, Venus. Fairly low, but easy to see these days in the east. Mars snuggling up uh, right near it. It's the little reddish thing that's much, uh, much dimmer. Mars will keep getting brighter over the coming months. On to this week in space history. This one I know you'll enjoy. In 1675, the yes. Royal Greenwich Observatory was founded. And time began, because that's where time begins. <laughs> Is that, was that the Big Bang? What? <laughs> I don't know what they were counting before that. <laughs> the Big Brit? Yeah, <laughs> just... There was no time. Time stood still. Yes, indeed. And thank goodness, because we really needed a zero longitude. Absolutely. Exactly. And also in uh, 1997, a little more recently, near 
the spacecraft, flew uh, by the asteroid Matilda on the way to its uh, rendezvous with Eros, where it orbited and eventually, strangely, landed. Yeah, oddly enough. Since it was an orbiter, but they right. got it to successfully land eventually on Eros. Not part of the original plan, right? I Correct. Mean, yeah. Crazed people keep these things in the back of their mind. But no, it was very much an orbiter, looking like an orbiter, and they didn't think they had much chance of it living when it reached surface, but it, it did. And it turns out this really not only some you know cool up-close pictures, but even more important for things like gravity magnetometers, things that detect fields, that it's uh, important to get up close and personal. Nice. Nicely done. Good job. On to oh God, so much pressure. Oh, really? Last time. <laughs> if you didn't hear Bruce's performance last week, I suggest you tune in. Several of you actually did want to congratulate him. <laughs> uh, All right, well, we'll be downhill from there. On to random space. <laughs> oh. Just kind of lost it in the middle there. Oh, well. The pressure. The, the, just broke. Just broke into pieces. Hey, the Spitzer Space Telescope up there been making amazing infrared observations, discovering the universe over the last few years. It's been publicly out there. They've, they're shifting into their warm mission mode because being an infrared telescope, they oh, cool yeah. their detectors. They've had them cooled around uh, one and a half Kelvins, wow. so one and a half degrees above absolute zero now they've they've uh, run out of coolant and so they talk about the warm mission i'm thinking okay i wasn't thinking room temperature but i was surprised the warm mission the detectors they're still at 25 to 30 kelvins <laughs> no wonder they can keep doing science with Whew. some of their instruments that's but, hot <laughs> yeah <laughs> the land of raised infrared detectors it's Jeez. hot but it, their warm mission is cold by any normal human standard everything's relative but they're going to be able to keep uh, keep working with some of their detectors even at that scorchingly hot temperature although not with not with some of the others on to trivia contest we asked you what are the two brightest stars in the constellation orion how'd we do man some disagreement here because we didn't specify apparent or absolute i mean we just thought everybody would think well yeah brightest from our viewpoint right apparent magnitude well that's certainly what i'd go with absolute magnitude is a system where if you were to fix distance from these objects then how bright would they be so it kind of compares the true absolute brightness but not what we see in the sky which is what i meant but <sighs> I'll let it go. Yeah, you people are sticklers. As it happens, we'd have accepted either one because we didn't specify. But you know what? Random.org took care of it for us, and it came out exactly as hoped for. Andrew Boyle. Andrew Boyle of Orlando, Florida, who I think it's been a couple of years since he won, a little bit more than a couple of years, said, Beetlejuice, the correct spelling of that, not like the uh, character in the movie, uh, in fact, he laments that they changed the spelling to Beetlejuice <laughs> from the spelling of the star. But uh, yes, Andrew of Orlando, Florida said uh, Rigel and Beetlejuice. Other people did point out that, you know, it may not actually be Beetlejuice anymore because Beetlejuice may be gone. <laughs> it's, it, I guess it was about to go kersplooey. Well, we never know. It's in that red giant phase, and uh, they've, they've been reports that there's some contraction that may have occurred. Now, remember from your previous random space facts, Betelgeuse, Betelgeuse, however you want to pronounce it, the question is, is it as big as the orbit of Mars or the orbit of Jupiter? I uh -huh. mean, it's 
It's huge. Enormous. It's so big. It's it's a way but totally huge supergiant. Now, somebody did say, I forget who, that its waistline has already been reduced by 15%. Well, that's the thing. That's why I wonder if something groovy is going to happen and we're, we're moving towards end of, end of star time. So that would be the reference. So if you were, you know, at absolute magnitude different distance, maybe it would matter. But for us, you look up there in the sky, it's still partying. So we're going to send Andrew... What else? A planetary radio T-shirt. Uh, we need. To, we, we should talk about that. I think it, it's time to move on. We're going to see if we can get past T-shirts. But they're so cool. Well, I love them, but we've been giving them away for so long. It just seems like maybe people, you know, write to us if you'd like to see something uh, something else. Pants would be nice. I'd hate planetary to think where the logo pants. would be, but uh, all right, no pants. <laughs> well, I mean, not no pants. Never mind. <laughs> Let's my, go on to the next trivia contest, I can't have plan rad pants, I won't wear them at all. <laughs> yeah, let's go on. Oh, but we also will, if he wants, uh, wants it, send Andrew an Oceanside Photo and Telescope Awards card. So there you go. Now move on. Oh, thank goodness. Congratulations to LRO and L-Cross, successfully launched and uh, headed off to orbit the moon. What was the year of the first successful lunar orbiter? That's your trivia contest. What huh. was the year of the first successful lunar orbiter? Go to planetary.org slash radio. Find out how to enter. I'm not even sure who sent it up. You've got until the 29th. That would be June 29th at 2 p.m. Pacific time to get us that answer. Go out there, look up the night sky, and think about Tom Petty. Tom Petty. Now, I have no problem thinking about Tom Petty. Do you want to explain why we should think about Tom Petty? My uh, son suggested it. He's got a fascination not with Tom Petty, but with saying Tom Petty in the amusing, entertaining ways. <laughs> Tom Petty! He does better than I do. He's Bruce Betts, the Director of Projects for the Planetary Society. And he joins us every week here for What's Up. Thank you, Matt Kaplan. Planetary Radio is produced by the Planetary Society in Pasadena, California. Have a great week. Thank you.